Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snow White. want to start off this podcast by saying that it is april 11th 2012 and it's snowing outside kind of weird for dc this time of year this is series one episode two redone the entomology and fly fishing podcast so we're going to make this series one episode 35 i'm more comfortable with the microphone got a little more experience Doing the podcast, the microphone itself is better, and I've got producer Jason to make it sound better. I think this is a very important podcast for those of you who are especially trout anglers. Knowing what the flies are, knowing what patterns to throw, when to throw them, and help differentiate some of the terminology terminology that you may see in a lot of the magazines and you may see on fishing TV shows, blogs, other podcasts, etc., so this is uh, Series 1, Episode 35. I'm going to discuss how your knowledge of insects will benefit your fly fishing experience. All right, so entomology. That is the study of insects. Insects belong to the kingdom Animalia. Insects belong to the phylum Arthropoda. Arthro meaning jointed and pod meaning foot. Taxonomic nomenclature would continue with class, order, family, genus, and species. Insects have been around for millions of years. Insects were the first organisms to fly, which allowed them to disperse in search of food, habitat, mates, and spreading for mates allowed them to disperse their genetic information, and flying also allowed them to escape predation. Insects require certain specific water conditions to live in and are thus analogous to a canary in the coal mine. So very good water quality equals higher amounts diversity of insect populations. Lower water quality means lower species 
and lower um, concentrations and amounts of them. I'm going to mostly focus on freshwater insects that live in warm and cold water because insects do not technically occupy salt water. That is where the crustaceans thrive and take over their niche. Insects are for the most part small and their size is limited by their exoskeleton. If they were to be, remember their skeletons are on the outside of their body. Ours are on the inside. So ours aren't that heavy. If we were to walk around with a giant shell, we wouldn't be able to move fast. We wouldn't be able to to do the normal daily live things we do. Insects being very small couldn't be the size of a football because their carapace or exoskeleton would be too heavy for them to fly. It just wouldn't work. They wouldn't be able to maneuver and do the things they do if they were large. Insects compromise a major component of fish diets. Trout, we're going to talk basically up to about 18, 19 inches. Once a fish reaches a certain size, they don't get enough calories from consuming insects that they have to be quote unquote meat eaters. So they're going to be eating things like other crustaceans, uh, crayfish. They're going to be eating large fish, tadpoles, frogs, birds, mice, things that they will gain more calories from than just eating tiny little insects. Insects occur in high populations and densities. Insects are generally easy for fish to catch and eat, except for the ones with large wings and noxious defensive chemicals. Things that have large wings are going to be hard to swallow. Have you ever seen a fish eat a big butterfly? No, they have to rip off the wings first. Birds do the same thing. If you see birds ripping apart um, the tiger swallowtail in the summertime, it's because they can't eat the wings. You'll notice a lot of butterflies around your butterfly bushes have small triangular shape pieces missing from their wings. That's where birds have grabbed them and just completely ripped off that piece of the wing. Noxious chemicals are going to be things that like our stink bugs that we've got in high populations now around here. Things that stink, things that send off um, like a cantharidin beetle, a blister beetle. It, it emits a chemical just like our epoxy that we mix, part one and part two. They come together. Well, blister beetles have a chemical called cantharidin, and they mix the two together, and they squirt it out, and it can burn your skin. So you don't want to have to deal with insects like that. Fish don't want to deal with them either. Fish tend to sip smaller ones and gulp larger ones. Smaller fish are going to make more of a splash when they're eating an insect off the surface because they don't know how to conserve their energy. A big trout is just going to nuzzle, stick his nuzzle through that surface film and sip a bug and go back down. Insects are highly nutritious. They're composed of a protein called chitin, which is chemically the same as the composition of mushrooms. Eating insects is metabolically efficient. If the amount of calories gained by eating those insects is greater than the amount of calories lost in the process of pursuing or chasing. So if you're going to swim 10 feet to eat a caddisfly, you're not going to gain the calories back that you lost in that swim. So they're not going to go out of their way to eat something unless they're going to gain a high amount of calories from it. So you want to throw big beetles, big drakes, the larger insects as opposed to a smaller fly. So we're talking like a size four hopper versus a 22 midge. Fish is not going to swim out of its feeding lane to go eat a little itty bitty midge. It's like you're not going to go out of your way to go eat a jelly bean, but you would go eat a T-bone steak. Uh, Insects are considered our selective organisms. Our selection in ecological terms are insects that are small in size. They reach sexual maturity faster, have a short gestation time, which means that the eggs hatch fast after they're laid. They produce high quantity of offspring, 
which are generally left to fend for themselves. The theory being that the more offspring that are produced equals a greater chance that some of those will ensure survival to pass on their genetic information. So what I'm going to talk about next is insect anatomy, the life cycles in different types of metamorphosis. Some live in water. Some live their entire life on land. We call those terrestrials. Some live a portion of their life in water and then emerge to adulthood on land. I'll talk about insect orders, the Latin and scientific names. I will translate the scientific names, break down what the Latin and science means. I'll use a scientific name down to the family level. And in zoology, animals always end with I-D-A-E. In botany, they end with um, O-S-A-E, like legumes are leguminosae. Whereas I'll talk about mayflies are if, um, like, Doro, uh, I can't even think of a family of insects right now. I'm all stuck on orders. We'll get to that. Common names, they're changed based on the geographic location, which can tend to confusion. Just like you can order a Coke in the South and they say, what kind of Coke? I'll take a Mountain Dew. Different insects in different parts of the country have different common names. So a lot of times you'll see things that are scientific name to avoid that confusion. And I'll describe how each order and relates to fly fishing. Let's start off with basic insect anatomy. Insects have bilateral symmetry, which means the left and right sides are equal in shape and size. Their bodies are segmented and comprise of a head, thorax, and abdomen. The head is the dominant section for organs of sensation. Mouth parts for eating and defense, so they, they consume food, they chop it up, and they bite you. Antenna, which are shaped depending on their need. For example, some moths have plume or feather-shaped antenna, which increase the surface area for detecting airborne pheromones. A moth can sense pheromones up to, say, seven miles away. They have eyes for sight, movement, light sensitivity, and they don't always form shapes. They might just form an outline of something. It's Imagine if you looked through a bundle of straws, each section of eye, technically called an olmatidia, is going to just pick up one part of that. Each one forms its own sort of television. They're not forming one giant image of you coming at them. There's that far side with the lady with the fly swatter, and you see like her a hundred times one in each little hexagon. Well, it's each little picture is going to be represented in one of those hexagons. I hope that makes sense. And you have a brain or ganglia, which is a massive collection of neurons. The thorax, which is the middle section, is composed of um, locomotive organs. You have the wings, which in Latin is uh, translated to terra, P-T-E-R-A, like a pterodactyl. Legs, three per side. Each leg has six segments shaped based on the need. Digging, grasping, jumping, um, holding things, whatever that animal does like a praying mantis, it grabs things with its legs that fly in the air. So they're going to have like sharp piercing pinchers on theirs, or you'll have a burrowing, um, like mole cricket. It's going to have giant four legs for digging or a caddis fly is going to have strong four legs for grabbing on to the subsurface and substrate of a river. You have the associated musculature for running, digging, grasping, jumping, swimming, and flying. Only invertebrates have the ability to fly. Technically, you have bats. They're mammals. They have vertebrates. So only insects can fly. Only invertebrate. Things that don't have a backbone. 
And you also have wings. Wings are also attached. I already mentioned that. Some insects have what's called a non-wing flexion mechanism, which means they cannot fold their wings flat against their back. After the podcast, you should be able to determine which organisms have this based on my descriptions. There was a recent um, Orvis podcast, not so recent, maybe last fall, where um, I think it was Perk Perkins was confused about damselflies and dragonflies. I will get to that, that dragonflies always have their wings out to the side and damsels always have them over their back at rest. The abdomen is comprised up to 11 segments. They have sections for digestion or organs for digestion, defecation, and respiration. Terrestrial insects have tiny pits, also known as spiracles, that open to the outside. Tree branches have these as well, most notably on cherry trees. Gas exchange goes inside to prevent desiccation. That's why we have our lungs inside of our bodies. It's to keep them moist from drying out. Fish are bathed in water. Their lungs are external, so they don't have to worry about drying out or desiccating. Some aquatic insects have filament-like exterior lungs. Nymphs tend to hold on in turbulent water, which has more oxygen, so they can have these plumose, feathery-like little white um, gills that stick out, and they can just take the dissolved oxygen from the water in which they live. You also have defense organs. Stingers and bees are modified reproductive organs. So when you see somebody in a bee suit, like covered in bees, those are all male bees. Male bees cannot sting because the stinger is a modified female reproductive organ. So it's complete BS to have somebody completely covered in bees. And the way they do that is they put a queen bee usually in a little mesh locket around the person's neck. The male bees are all attracted to her pheromones, and they will coat and cover whatever is blocking their way to reproduce with her. So it's completely BS to be like on fear factor and covered in bees because they're all males and they're not going to sting you. You also have tails. We'll talk about insects with tails in a bit. And reproduction. Ovipositors in some are shaped based on where and how they legs. Are they parasitic and going to pierce the flesh of a caterpillar and lay their eggs inside? Are they going to pierce the flesh of fruits or stems and branches and lay their eggs inside that, which would form an oak gall if on an oak tree? Or are they going to stick them into mud like a cricket? Let's talk about life cycles. This is very important when you're deciding if your fly is going to be a larva, an adult, a spinner, sub-imago, if is it going to be a dun? Is it going to be a spinner? All these different terminologies are based on different types of life cycles. And insects have two different types. And that's going to be more in the metamorphosis talk. So let's talk about insects that live in water, insects that live on land. Some live for a portion of their life in water and emerge from the water, either by swimming or crawling out. For terrestrial adulthood is what they emerge to. So you'll see adult caddisflies, adult mayflies, adult stoneflies. They will then return to the water to mate and lay their eggs in the water, and that makes them an easy meal for fish. When they're swimming under to lay their eggs on the bottom or they're drifting to the top, releasing their eggs, or if they are um, dapping their eggs in the water, fish can come up and just pick them off. Fish depend on these emergences or what we call hatches for gorging themselves on food to pack on weight. The emerging stage is quite vulnerable As the insect is trying to break through that water surface tension or film, breaking the hydrogen bonds, and get to safety while exiting their skin. This is an awkward stage 
that makes them an easy target and a favorite food item for fish. Some insects can't break out of the water and drown. Those are known as stillborns or cripples. Being able to identify these different stages being consumed by the fish and matching your fly to that stage is your key to success in fly fishing where the fish are feeding on bugs. The life cycle stages are egg, which is deposited by a female, larva or larvae, if you want singular versus plural, feeding and growing, those are going to be your nymph in fishing lingo, the pupa, which is an inactive, non-feeding, protective stage, think of a cocoon, and the adult, which is feeding and reproduction. Although not all adults feed when they're out, such as a cicada. They just reproduce and die. They don't only have active feeding mouth parts. There are two different types of metamorphosis, complete and incomplete. Complete metamorphosis has egg to larva to pupa to adult. This composes 85% of all insects. This is a very complex life cycle. The organism has to change shape morphology throughout its life. It's not going to be the same looking insect. It's going to transform itself, which takes a lot of energy and has to have downtime while each one is completed. The larvae are specialized for eating and growing. They do not have compound eyes. Their wings develop externally. The pupa are a unique stage to this type of metamorphosis. Think of it as a mummy stage. So only complete metamorphosis will have pupa. Adults are specialized for moving to new locations and reproducing. Larvae and adult eat different types of food. Think of a caterpillar eats leaves and the moth or butterfly eats nectar. This reduces competition between individuals of different stages for resources. It allows them to take advantage of more than one habitat and food source at different life stages. You don't want the adults and the larvae competing for the same food source. It's a conflict of interest for them. So if you read the Very Hungry Caterpillar book, which I'm reading to Kiersey now, that thing eats uh, pizza and apple pie and plums and leaves. But the adult, if there was a sequel, it's going to eat nectar. Nectar is a very high caloric, high energy compound. It gives them the ability to fly, which is why butterflies and moths eat nectar. Same with... Um, Hummingbirds. Flying is a very high metabolic requiring activity. Complete metamorphosis is more important to the fly fishermen as we need to know different shapes, sizes, and colors to match these stages. Fish might be feeding on one stage but not the other. So if you throw an emerger, they might not want that because they might want the adult or vice versa. So you got to have the right size and color to match this. And this can be great frustration to people. Incomplete metamorphosis, non-complete. The egg turns into a nymph, which turns into adult. The adult lays the egg, which is just an egg. The nymph is the feeding non-reproductive stage, which has a compound eye. They can see better. The adult is the reproductive stage. Incomplete metamorphosis comprises 14% of all insects. Adults and nymphs live in the same location at the same time and compete for the same resources. All stages look the same, but are different size of color. You can have the same pattern fly in a variety of sizes. I tie a small hopper, a medium hopper, and a large hopper. That constitutes the nymph stages and the adult stage at the same time. Stink bugs are like this. Also, you get stink bugs all over here now. 
Let's talk about insect orders. This is the meat and potatoes of this podcast. And before it was sunny, now it's like blue skies and bright white cumulus clouds out. Some bizarre weather here. We actually need rain because it's so dry. I would definitely go for a downpour today, even though it might alter this weekend's guided trips. I'd be glad to get some rain, prevent forest fires. It's getting pretty dry out here. So I'm going to mention the Latin name, the common name, and an example. These are the insect orders that are relevant relevant to fly fishing. There's a lot more, but we don't need to know about those. Like, um, I can't remember the order name, but in your house you have silverfish, very primitive insect. You don't find those on trout streams, so we're not going to talk about them. First, coleoptera. Coleo means shield. Terra means wing. Shield wing flying insects. These are your beetles. Dip terra. D-I for two. Terra for winged. Two winged flying insects. Your true flies. Ephemeroptera. Ephemer, short-lived. Terra, winged. Short-lived flying winged insect. These are your mayflies. Hemiptera. Hemi means half. Terra, winged. Your half-winged flying insects. These are your true bugs. Hymenoptera. Hymen is membrane. Terra is winged. These are your membrane-winged flying insects. Ants, beetles, and wasps. Also known as your social insects. Lepidoptera. Lepid means scaly or hinged. And terra is winged. These are your scaly, hinged, winged flying insects. Butterflies and moths. Megaloptera. Mega is big. Terra is big-winged. Big-winged flying insect. Dobson flies, which are also known as helgramites. Odonata or odonata. Toothy. These are your toothy critters, your dragonflies and damselflies. Orthoptera. Ortho has many meanings, like an orthopedist. This is going to be straight. Straight-winged flying insect. Grasshoppers and crickets. Plecoptera, pleco for tent, terra for winged, tent winged flying insects. These are your stone flies. And last but not least, and if you didn't notice, these are in alphabetical order. I know my ABCs. Trichoptera, hairy winged flying insects. These are your caddis flies. Individual orders. I will break this down by Latin name. Latin name translated again. The common name, type of metamorphosis, description of different life stages, key identifying characteristics that you can identify with the naked eye, location in and around the water, examples, and representative fly imitations. So without further ado, let's go to Coleoptera, shield-winged flying insects, your beetles. These are the most diverse species of insects. Greater than 40% of all named insects are beetles. Complete metamorphosis. Four wings are heavy, cumbersome shield to protect the delicate hind membrane-like wings used for flying. The wing meets halfway across the back. They are clumsy flyers due to this heavy shield, and they often land in water with a splat. Some have a chemical compound for defense. I already mentioned the blister beetle and ladybugs. Ladybugs stink when you pick them up. They also poop on you. Examples, Japanese beetles, scarab beetles, predaceous diving beetles, weevils, there are cucumber beetles, there are darkling beetles, there are ground beetles, 
You have long horned beetles. You have short horned beetles. You have beetles that burrow in wood. All these beetles may eventually end up in water, and they're a huge snack. Vince Marinero um, was obsessed with these. We have uh, Japanese beetles in the east. His representation was gluing the coffee bean to a hook. Flies should be round to oblong in profile like that coffee bean. And you want the fish to see them from below in a variety of sizes. June bugs are big. They stink. They're a member of the scarab female, scarabidae. A Japanese beetle is tiny. So you should have a variety of beetle shapes and sizes. The best all-time beetles are made by Bill Skilton out of Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. He is my, I would say, mentor in fly tying. I never took a class on how to tie flies, but through his observations, I have completely developed my own style of tying with synthetics, and Bill is the man. I prefer to use foam or synthetics because it floats. You can get different colors, metallic, sparkly, glittery, versus deer hair. Deer hair floats nicely, but eventually the hollow chambers and cells inside that mammalian hair will fill up with water and they will sink. Granted, beetles do drown, and you can bounce a deer hair beetle off the bottom, and that will catch a fish. Beetles, when they land in the water, tuck their legs underneath them, and they rather spin in a little circle. So you're not going to have one go in a straight line like when you're drifting a beetle through a nice hole like we do a Mossy Creek. And their wings um, are usually tucked up. Their membrane might be sticking out the back. But that's... um, that's what beetles do. Now, you can chum with beetles. We do this on Mossy Creek. And I had clients last year that were from Japan, and I showed them some Japanese beetles on a sycamore along the Potomac, and they thought I was just messing with them, making up the term Japanese beetle. They had never heard of them before. Grab a handful of them and shake them up vigorously like you're rolling dice. Get them all disoriented and confused, and then throw them hard down onto the water, and they'll splat, and they'll drift downstream. And if you hear... <laughs> You know there's a fish down there. Do it again and throw your fake beetle in with those and see if you can pull out a fish. Let's talk about the next order in alphabetical order. The dipterins. These are the two-winged flying insects, also known as your true flies. The forewing is for flying, four meaning closer to the head. The hind wings closer to the abdomen and thorax are called haltiers. They're for balance purposes. You can easily see these on a true fly known as a crane fly, and they look like tiny badminton rackets. So if you're tying midges or any other true flies, don't put two sets of wings on them. There are only two wings, not four. Dipterins have complete metamorphosis, and they hatch en masse all year long, which provides consistent sustenance to fish. This is analogous to you sitting down with a bowl of popcorn at the movies. You can sit down, and me, I'm, what, 175 pounds, about 5'11", and in about 20, 30 minutes, I can be full just from eating little morsels of popcorn. Well, a trout, if it's in a good feeding lane, need only open its mouth when there's a hatch going on, and it can gobble up midge larvae or adults or emergers to its heart's content all day long and fill its belly. If you put, um, you know, let's say 50, 60 midges together, it equals one morsel, maybe the size of uh, maybe like a small bait fish. So they do eat these, and in winter, it's especially prevalent for them if you're in a tailwater. 
tailwaters constitute cold water releases. Um, the water is going to be warmer than the rest of the river, so the fish and insects will be more active at the top, and you'll find midge hatches. Midges belong to the family Coronomidae, or Coronomids, so you might see them as Coronomids in print. They're present in high densities in those winter tailwaters and spring creeks. Dipteran larvae are round, slim, slender-bodied with defined heads or no legs. The pupae have more developed appendages, so people who are tying up pupa will have a little bit more uh, bell and whistles on their flies than just a little round larva. Fish simply open their mouth and gulp them, so they don't have to really go out of their way to eat them. The smaller the fish, the more splash they'll make. The larger the fish, the less splash because they're not going to be, again, burning calories. They're smarter as they get older and bigger. Examples of true flies, house flies, horse flies, mosquitoes, crane flies, tiny flies mentioned as the midges, salmon maggots. Those are flies that lay their eggs on salmon carcasses and they hatch and you've got these little white rice looking maggots all over the salmon. And then when a wave or um, something splashes them off, they go into the river and fish can eat them. And all sorts of awesomely, phenomenally grotesque parasites. Just Google the word bot fly and I and you'll find some awesomely nasty pictures. Flies for the larvae and pupa, brassies, thread midges, mercury midges, WD-40 midges, jujubatus. Um, I guess a jujubatus would actually be a different type of fly, so maybe a juju midge. Charlie Craven's got a ton. Uh, other fly shops where people are going to tie them. Pat Dorsey in Evergreen, Colorado. People that fish the tailwaters a lot are going to have the most... Diverse flies for catching them. The adults, a griffith gnat, a mosquito, a black gnat. There's crane fly adults. You have a variety of um, just gnat, little itty-bitty ones. There's also adult midges. I'm trying to think of some names of them now. But, uh, you know, it's just going to be little black. You can just take black thread and wrap it around a hook. That's what I do. And put a little crystal flash tail on there or a little dollop of foam to help them stay in the surface film. And that could be any type of Dipteran larva. All right. Ephemeroptera. Short-lived flying insects is a misnomer as only the larval stage is long-living. The adult stage, they die shortly after they emerge from the water to their terrestrial life. These are your mayflies. The indicator species, or they are known as an indicator species as they require certain environmental factors to live. So they need a certain pH, a certain um, you know amount of metals and dissolved oxygen in the water. So dirty water, you're not going to find a whole lot of diverse species of mayflies. Clearer and cleaner water, you're going to have more of them. So they're the analogous canary in the coal mine. They have incomplete metamorphosis. They're a rather ancient order characterized by unique tail or caudal cerci, an additional molting stage known as the subimago as an adult. Sometimes prolonged larval life of several years. So the larvae can burrow in the mud or under rocks for several years. But the first people that observed them didn't see that. They only noticed them as the adult stage, which flitter around, mate, and then die. Larvae are usually streamlined. Dorsal eventually flatten. It means top to bottom like a pancake. This allows them to live under and around stream bottom detritus and debris without being pulled away by moving water. The larvae head are shaped... Uh, more like a shovel, rounded, like a tadpole, and they're broader at the head when tapered down with delicate tails. When they're hatching, they're at risk of being eaten as they leave the watery state. They're hatching, they're in the surface, they're being held down by the exoskeleton or shuck. 
You often see the adults, once they pop out, floating down the stream like a regatta of sailboats. And then they either fly off or just end up on the shoreline. The adults have bulging eyes, large wings folded above and behind the body at rest with an extended abdomen. They're very unique and they are very delicate flyers. You can really tell the difference between this and another flying insect when they're out. The short-lived adult life, their mouth parts are vestigial so they don't feed. The adult's goal is solely re- to reproduce and then die. And hopefully like salmon, their carcasses will then provide nourishment and nutrients to the river bottom where their next generation is going to live. Examples include drakes, sulfurs, blooming olives, pale morning duns, pale evening duns. Um, there are so many different mayflies. Betis is the other name for blooming olive, also written as a BWO. Examples of the larva, a hare's ear and a pheasant tail are two standards that are going to pretty much catch these guys wherever they are. I also like um, RS2s. That's a really good Colorado fly. Very basic. It's just like a thread midge. And I use little pieces of micro paintbrush fibers for the tails. The adults, Catskill style dries, Hendrickson's, March Browns, Quill Gordons, and then their wolf equivalents, BWOs, Trichos. I can't pronounce the full name of the Trico. It's like Trichomyoithes, but in fly tying terms, we just call them Trichos. You have sulfurs, white millers, and all the different drakes. A lot of the drakes come out at night, so people like to fish for them at dark. The white fly hatch, I mentioned earlier, is pretty popular here on the East Coast. You used to get really thick white miller and white flies on the Potomac. We saw one the other day. It was the first one I've seen probably in over a year. And it's like a light switch. All of a sudden, you're just sitting there waiting for something to happen. You're sitting on the bank having a cigar or a nip of a little dram of whiskey. And then, boom, there's mayflies in the air. I took my buddy Philippe up to the Yellow Breaches years ago. That was the last time we fished together. He's too busy to fish. And his girlfriend lives in Los Angeles, so he's never around anyway. And we were just standing there waiting for something to happen. We were fishing beetles and streamers, and then dust came, and boom. The white flies were just everywhere, all shapes and sizes. And they were crawling on him, and he was, he couldn't believe that this just happened like in a split second. So that's the yellow breaches. It can get very crowded up there. People get very pissed off when you're uh, crowding them up there. You know, if you're driving from D.C., it's a two and a half hour drive sometimes based on traffic on Route 15. Tom and I were up there once and this guy was fishing in a hole and fishing downstream. And he had a rising trout pretty much in his knee pit right behind him facing upstream. He was facing down. So I started casting to it and he turned around and he started giving me profanity. You know, he was like pretty much going to come over and try to like throw down with us. So uh, Tom wanted to throw a rock in the hole. Or I wanted to throw a rock where he was fishing, but we just moved on. There's plenty of space. The guy was a D-bag. So when you want to know when these big mayfly hatches are going on, uh, check your local fly shop bulletin boards. Check the books. I have the Harry Murray's Fly Fishing in the Shenandoah National Park. And I use the hatch charts and stuff in that to write my entomology papers in college. Look at bag- magazines and destination articles like Fly Fishing the White Fly Hatch in Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. Or you might find the White Millers of the... Middle Potomac River. Look online. And of course, you've got smartphone apps like the Orvis app. That's got hatch charts. Go with that one. All right. Let's talk about Lepidopterans now. This is the only order my wife can tell you in Latin. It means scale wing flying insects. They have scales on their wings, and their wings are hinged together. There's about three or four different types of hinges, but they're scale wing hinged flying insects butterflies and moths 
They have complete metamorphosis. Of course, you've read the book, The Hungry Caterpillar. I've been reading that to Kiersey, and she seems to enjoy it. The adults drink a calorie-rich nectar as fuel for flight. In order to fly, you need to have a lot of calories in you. It's very cost-expensive. So these flying insects are going to drink nectar. And they don't eat leaves because leaves don't have much nutrition in them. Cellulose is very unnutritional unless you have cellulase, the enzyme, to break it down. Butterflies are characterized by wings to the side or horizontal at rest, whereas moths are characterized by wings over their back at rest. Moths are also going to be more kind of bark patterns, dark browns. Uh, my professor in college said the Noctuidae are your ugly brown little moths. Butterflies can be more colorful. The larvae will often accidentally lower themselves into the water or fall into the stream, larvae being the caterpillars. And some will just drop as defense. So if you get close to one and just look at it on a branch, it might just roll off the side and land. They'll do that in the water, and that's an easy meal for fish. Especially right now, apparently there's a huge inchworm, I guess we'd call hatch, going on based on lack of cold over the winter. So I guess a ton of caterpillars survived, or the eggs survived to become caterpillars in the spring. And people in Richmond, Virginia are just saying their cars are completely covered with them. I never really used an adult butterfly. Uh, Mike Heck has tied me some moth patterns. He said he catches bats with them. You want to stay away from the hairy caterpillars. In my experience, fish don't eat them anyway. Some of the hairy ones have what are called urticating hairs or irritating hairs. And those are defense mechanisms. So if they uh, stick you with their little hairs, it's going to cause an inflammatory reaction. Tom, this must have been 2001. We were salmon and seal had fish in New York. And he had his wading jacket on the shore. And he put it on and he had a caterpillar in there. And as he pushed his arm in, it thing must have rolled up his arm like a log roll. Because his whole arm ballooned up the size of a football. We had to go. The only place we actually found Benadryl was in the bathroom of a gas station outside Altmar, New York. Stay away from those fuzzy, colorful ones. It's a warning. Say, hey, I got color and fuzz. It means there's something wrong with me. Stay away. Your flies for these would just be green weenies, which can be just, you know, green chenille or bright yellow chenille. I don't know. Their caterpillars come in a variety of colors, but mostly greenish and yellows because that's the color of the background they live on. And they want to blend in. Green San Juan worms work great. And there's also deer hair caterpillars. Some examples would be monarchs, skippers, noctuidae, the ugly brown moths, tiger swallowtails. Uh, my dad once cut open a bell pepper and a moth flew out. That's my one anecdote from this. It was very bizarre. We still ate the red pepper. It was from Whole Foods. Nothing was wrong with it. I, I'm assuming the egg was laid on the outside. The insect then burrowed in as a larvae and pupated on the inside and then was just lucky that we cut it open. And there's uh, lepidopterans for you. So it's more of the larval stage that's important to the fly fisherman than the adult stage. Hemipterans. Hemi meaning half. Tara's wing. These are your half wing insects. They are known as your true bugs. They exhibit incomplete metamorphosis. They're characterized by wings forming an inverted triangle on the back where they cross. A variety of body shapes to be adapted to where they live. Some look like thorns. Some look like leaves. Some actually look like pieces of bird poop. They have cryptic coloration, which means they blend in with their background. And their body parts are all looking like camouflage. They will walk around a stem to get away from you when you get close to them. 
They have piercing mouth parts to eat plants or other bugs, and some of them are actually human parasites and will suck your blood, like a Regiviidae or wheel bug or assassin bug, and they transmit Chagas disease. They suck phloem from plants. Phloem is the sugary fluid that is produced in the leaves through photosynthesis and then goes from the source to the sink, which means the sugar goes, the sap is produced through photosynthesis, and then it's sent down to the roots or tubers for storage, which is why we eat things like potatoes and carrots. Those fall root vegetables are the storage units of all the photosynthesis, which is why they're so full of nutrients, and you can caramelize them. Sometimes they they basically suck so much that they're just a valve, and the sugar's coming through them so fast that they'll squirt it out. So you may be sitting out at a barbecue and feel these cool drops hitting you, and you look up thinking it's raining. Well, it's actually the sugar and fluid bypassing the stomach for excretion. It's known as honeydew or mana, and that may have landed on you before and you thought it was raining. And now you know what those little cool drops were. And they also will land all over your windshield and you'll have bees eating them. We got a huge problem here with the, the tilia or basswood and linden trees in our neighborhood. They will stick to your car so bad that you can't use your wiper blades, you can't open your windows, and you can't open your sunroof. I don't know who the knob was who decided to put these trees in parking lots above cars. Plus, the seeds make a freaking mess in the fall. It's a nightmare. So I've definitely climbed up the tree and cut down all the branches that stick over my car. But still, like the wind will blow it and the sap. It's a nightmare. So there's a variety of sizes and colors, and these are mostly abundant on summer foliage. Examples are leaf hoppers, spittle bugs, frog hoppers, leaf-footed bugs, water boatmen, stink bugs. Box elder bugs, scale insects, which are also known as cochineal, which was a traditional method of obtaining red dye for things in the clothing manufacturer and for beverages. So what am I thinking about? Ocean spray, high sea, several drinks uh, were containing these up till recent until people realized that the cochineal could be an allergen and they started taking it out. But there's still a lot of foods made by crushing these scale insects, which live in Mexico mostly on cacti. Cicadas, aphids, and aphids reproduce asexually or through parthenogenesis, spontaneous reproduction of clones. And you can have one female aphid on your houseplant and in a couple of days you're going to notice shucked skin because remember, they're not going egg, larva, pupa, adult. They're going egg, Nymph, 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 adult. So every time they grow out of that skin and become the next stage of the nymph, they're going to pop off their skin. So if you see little white skins around your plants, you know you're infested with aphids. And of course, it's going to be on the bottom of the plant sucking the phloem because the top is the waxy cuticle and it's harder to puncture. And on the bottom, they're less likely to be spotted by predators. Aphids also have a relationship with ants. The ants will tend or farm them and they can also just kind of tickle their bums and that sugary secretion will come out and they can drink it and in exchange the ants provide protection so you might find a spot where ants and like aphids are falling in the, the creek and trout are feeding on them vince marinero's jacid is one of the classic representations of a leaf hopper i make a what i call the splat cicada it's thick foam any small foam terrestrial should work a beetle will work small foam crickets small foam any just kind of terrestrial in the summer that's greenish and greenish brown with a couple maybe rubber legs or some crystal flash you're going to catch a fish if you just splat it down that's the hemipterans next should be the hymenopterans there's also hemiptera and homoptera but i think they're all combined to hemiptera 
The hymenopterans are the membrane-winged flying insects. These are ants, bees, and wasps. They're also known as the social insects for their complex societies. They exhibit complete metamorphosis. If a wing is present, it is very thin and membranous. Wasps have a unique identifying characteristic, ding, 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 pay attention, which is a very narrow segment called a pedicel, which joins the thorax to the abdomen. There are some flies that look like bees and wasps to protect them. And you can tell, well, A, if the bee has head, thorax, and abdomen is one kind of peanut-looking unit versus one that's got a long, thin divider between the abdomen and the thorax, that's a wasp. The bee mimics also have completely different eyes. It's more of a compound eye, whereas a hornet or wasp looks like it's just straight up wearing like aviator sunglasses. Again, the bee stinger is just a modified female reproductive organ, so male bees cannot sting you. Ants produce formic acid. They are from the formerly family for misidae, which may account for why trout have such a fondness for ants. If you've ever eaten an ant, and I have, I've eaten several ants, they taste like powdered lemonade. So you get a little zingy ting tangle, whatever on your tongue. Try to say that. I don't even know what I just said. And I've seen ants drop off trees for no reason. They're just clumsy. Uh, Sometimes they'll do it for defense like caterpillars, but they end up in the water a lot and Fish will go out of their way specifically to eat ants if there are other more juicy morsels out. You can always tie a small ant pattern as a dropper behind a hopper. And when you see that hopper move, boom, set the hook and you probably have something on the ant. I already mentioned several non-hymenopteran insects mimic them. Um, like hoverflies don't have the pedestal and they, got, they don't have the black shield like eyes. Examples would be carpenter ants, picnic ants, sugar ants. Honeybees, bumblebees. Bumblebees have a hairy butt. Carpenter bees do not. Bumblebees need to have the pollen stick to them, which is what the hair is for. If a carpenter bee had hair on it, it wouldn't really be able to go in and out of those wooden holes as easily. Cicada killers. They're huge wasps that kill cicadas. Yellow jackets, parasitic wasps, such as Echenumonidae or Echenumin wasps. Those are sort of your reddish ones that you find around your porch lights at night in the summer. Flies for these cork bees, thread ants, dubbed ants, foam ants, Chernobyl ants. There's so many different ant combinations. There's hard body ants. I like Scott Sanchez's pattern. It was in uh, American Angler a couple years ago. He used Gorilla Glue, which dries hard and round and kind of expands. And it was this really cool red ant. Those are your hymenopterans. Cicada killers. I mentioned those. We were uh, with my day camp group when I was a camp counselor walking through the woods of Reston, and there was a big summer cicada. People think cicadas only come out like brood eggs like every 17 years, but that's not true. We have annual ones. We have biannual ones, like triannual and so forth. And this huge like dog day looking cicada was flying through the air the size of a, a small sparrow. And out of nowhere, this gigantic wasp just picked it out of the air Pinned it against a tree. I mean, how big of a wasp do you have to be to pin a moving live cicada against a tree? And it stabbed it with its abdomen, which was like seven inches long. And it just stabbed it, which basically paralyzed it. And then it laid its eggs inside of it and then put it somewhere. So the thing would be still alive. And then the larva would hatch and eat it from the inside out. It's pretty cool. There's also a wasp called a velvet ant. It's a wingless wasp that's fuzzy red and black. It's got the warning coloration. You find them a lot in cow pastures. And you got to be careful because they do have stingers. They, they might look like ants, but they're actually wasps. And they 
they're not fun. Let's talk about megalopterans. I just finished tying up a dozen and a half of their larvae. They're known as giant-winged flying insects, the Dobson flies and fish flies, prominently veined wings. Their wings are huge as adults. They exhibit complete metamorphosis. Their larvae are known as helgramites, H-E-L-L-G-R-A-M-M-I-T-E, I think is the correct spelling. I never get it right. They're nasty critters. I once got one inside my shoe and it bit me. And I stuck on a hook and probably caught seven smallmouth. They are one of the all-time favorite smallmouth bass food items. They live under rocks, usually in riffles, and they are big. I will find them and pull them out of the little creeks here when I'm doing a, a little like casting demo or just showing someone how to fish a small trout stream. And they're surprised you can pull a five-inch long helgramite out. Last summer on July 4th, I had one inside my shirt. I always tuck in my shirt when we're waiting just because... Uh, it's a little easier to move around, and I felt something on my stomach, so I lifted up my shirt, and there was like a four-inch helgramite on it, and that was on the Potomac. They're long, dorsal eventually flattened with shovel-like heads, with body with several tactile appendages, appendages similar to the legs separated by puffy white external lungs. Life under the rocks for several years in logs and amongst detritus. They eat pretty much everything. Don't put them in your fish tank. They will eat your scuds and your caddis larvae, and they will pretty much eat anything else you put in there. The adults are identifiable by those veined wings, and they're also huge. They're the size of hummingbirds, if not bigger, and they have large pincer-like mandibles on males. Huge wings extend past the abdomen, and they also have very long antennae. The adults will leave the water and can be found near gas station lights along the river in summer. If you're ever at Harper's Ferry and you're coming from Leesburg, Virginia, there's that gas station on your left right as you cross the border. Go there at night, and you will find dozens of these monster Megalopterans. Females will deposit white velvety egg masses on rocks and tree branches hanging over the water. The eggs will hatch and the larvae will then drop into the water and the life cycle continues. At the time I, I made this, I have Bill Skilton's Helgramite, which is phenomenal. It's one of the most realistic Helgramites. Based on his, I found some material after 15, 20 years of looking and finally have my own. We catch catfish, smallmouth, and carp on them. I tie them in brown, purple, orange, green, black, gray, white. They're pretty awesome. So you can email me. I'll do a, a YouTube video on my tutorial, and then you can buy the material from me. Uh, cicadas will work. A huge woolly bugger. With cicada, I see, will work as the adult. There really aren't too many uh, megalopteran or Dobson fly adults. It's usually the Helgramite. Woolly buggers and zonkers will also work. I'm sure a black clouser minnow will work too. They are just big, nasty creatures. They're attracted to your car headlights. Tom and I were camping outside Mossy Creek. It was the summer of 2001. I remember it was when we came back from Maine and I had pneumonia. And I was getting out to find camping spots in the GW Forest. Every time we'd park, I mean, out of nowhere, it was like swarms of them. And I swear they were like, trying to attack us. They were like coming in the windows and dive bombing the headlights. No nasty creatures, but man, do fish freaking love them. When I was a kid, you'd always see the local kids along the Shenandoah and Potomac going out and collecting them. And they sold them for bait in the local bait shops. It's absolute smallmouth crack. All right. Odonates, toothy f- creatures. These are your dragonflies and damselflies. 
They have incomplete metamorphosis. All larvae are predaceous. Dragonflies, remember that um, non-flexion mechanism. Dragonflies' wings are horizontal when at rest. They are fast flyers up to 18 miles per hour with incredible sight. You often see shucks on dock pilings and shore plants where the dragonflies will crawl out, damselflies too, and hatch and fly off. Damselflies' wings are pulled back over their back at rest. They are slow flyers flitting gently around. My parents always have these very iridescent kind of like oil spill looking ones around their hydrangeas and I don't even know what's left of their garden because there's so many deer and resting. But I grew up with these beautifully colored black winged and iridescent body damsels and just beautiful. Most of the ones around the streams are going to be sky blue or like a Carolina blue with little black lines where they're articulated and where their abdomen is separated to pieces. You will see fish jump out of the water to eat adult damselflies and dragonflies. If you see a damsel or dragon, I tell my clients this when we're on a lake, if you see one hovering, throw a freaking grasshopper there because there's a fish looking up at that fly and they're just waiting for it to, to maneuver wrong and fall in or just waiting for it to, to jump out and eat it. And we can usually catch some pretty good sized largemouth bass. I will tell you that we catch more fish on my damsel nymph than any other pattern I make. That's pretty much all we use for shad. We use it for stripers. We use it for white perch, bluegill, largemouth, smallmouth. I already said stripers. We've caught catfish on them. American shad, gizzard shad, hickory shad, white perch, yellow perch, grass carp. I mean, you name it. If it swims around here, we have caught it on the damsel nymph. Uh, they're also known as Skinners and uh, darn, Darners. Yeah, I think I'm stuttering now. Those are some examples. Marabou Damsels, my damsel nymph, um, like Whitlock's Dragonfly Nymph. It's an easy prey morsel for them. So fish are definitely going to go after the dragonflies and damsels, especially if they're swimming to the surface to hatch. Adults, foam da- damsel and dragonflies. A lot of the damselfly adults they sell you in the fly shops, the wings are out. That is incorrect. They don't land. They might land and their wings kind of are being different angles because they're just dead in the water and their muscles, musculature is not working anymore. All right, let's talk about orthopterans. This is a huge, huge, huge order for fly fishermen. Straight winged flying insects, hoppers, and crickets. They have incomplete metamorphosis, meaning egg to nymph to nymph to nymph to nymph to nymph to adult. So you can go out there with 10 different size hoppers and have the whole full gamut of every size that going to be on the water subdivided by antenna length it is short and longhorn grasshoppers which i believe are the tetagonia day and the agrilla day characterized by large hind legs with musculature for jumping and noise making think of jiminy cricket they can tell the temperature based on the stridulations or two surfaces rubbing against each other which is usually hind leg against abdomen or hind leg against wing uh, i i have the i don't know if i still have the formula it's probably on the website, but you can find out the temperature based on stridulations per minute through a mathematical formula. Remember, these are cold-blooded organisms, so when it's colder, they slow down. When it's warmer, their bodies speed up. They fall off foliage, or they land in the water because they're not the best swimmers. Some will swim or drift, and you can definitely chum up fish. Once you throw a hopper in the water, it will almost always pause, get its bearings, turn towards shore, and start kicking. I show this to clients all the time. I say, watch, I'm going to throw this in. 
And if it doesn't get eaten right away, you can see those big bluegills. And we've got like 11-inch bluegills in some of the lakes here. They will just sit there and look at it and come up and mm-hmm. that thing is gone. But I, if they don't get eaten, they turn and kick straight towards shore. They're great as a lead fly when fishing tandem rigs. So in the summertime, we're always going to be fishing a hopper about one to one and a half inches long, either black and yellow, green and white, green and orange, black and red, whatever. It doesn't really matter the color. And then behind that, we're going to have a damsel nymph, an ant, maybe a smaller hopper, or just a generic beadhead nymph. And it's strange that we'll catch the largemouth bass on the beadhead nymph and the little bluegill on the big hopper. It's strange. You got to use smaller tippet. Usually I just use four pound Berkeley or uh, if I got four X, I'll use that. Examples, green tree hoppers, black crickets, Katie did's grasshoppers. My foam hoppers are extremely simple to tie. I've got a new one. I call it the foam depot. It's made out of frost King window insulation. And you just tie an inch of that down with some rubber legs and boom, those bass and bluegills will destroy it. I won't use that on trout because it's kind of too dinky, but I'll give it a try sometimes. So foam hoppers, Dave's hoppers, Latorte hoppers, Scott Sanchez has a ton of hopper patterns. There's also, uh, give some shout out to um, Juan Ramirez. He's got his hopper wand, which is a pretty popular pattern in Colorado. Moving on, we've got the plecopterans, your tent-winged flying insects. This is also another big one. Fly fishing, it's going to be stoneflies, mayflies, and caddisflies. Adult wings are always going to be folded over the thorax and abdomen. They have complete metamorphosis, egg, larva, pupa, adult. They're intolerant to pollution, so dirty water will not have them. The larvae are similar to mayflies, but they're bulkier. Again, they're going to be dorso-ventrally flattened with shovel-shaped heads, prominent wing cases on the thorax, prominent legs protruding to the side, and one pair of prominently forked tails. The larvae tend to climb out of the water on rocks and onto you on your waders, climb up you and get on your neck, sunglasses, etc., my clients have been covered with them. They're either climbing out the rocks and then up on us these last couple of weeks, but we have just been covered in stoneflies. And it doesn't matter to us because we're fishing for shad and other oceanic going fish that don't know what bugs are, so we just ignore them. They'll hatch throughout the year with winter hatches producing feeding fish. You've got the typical winter stonefly. Large stoneflies are a whole meal in one gulp. They can be the size of, uh, like the salmon flies, the size of small birds. Examples would be yellow sallies, salmon flies, golden stones, little black winter stones. I already mentioned the uh, salmon fly. So larva, I love the Kaufman stone fly. It's a killer, freaking killer cart pattern. Mercer's poxy back stones. You can tie any kind of really simple stone fly yourself. Some of the rooster steelhead patterns look like stone flies. A lot of stone flies are used for steelhead. Adults, stimulators, pillow stones, foam stones. It could, I mean, a grasshopper works for uh, these. I've, I have some really huge salmon fly patterns somewhere in the house. I bought when I was in Colorado when I worked there in 05. And they're like four-inch long adults. I think this might be the last of them. The trichopterans, which means hairy-winged flying insects, the last of the big three. They have complete metamorphosis, egg, larva, pupa, adult. So every time I'm saying egg, larva, pupa, and adult, you should be thinking what flies represent the larva, which ones represent the pupa, which ones represent the adult. The larva live in and around and amongst rocks, logs, and detritus. And detritus is like rotten old plant matter that's collected somewhere that they're going to be feeding on. A lot of organic material. 
They may or may not build houses or casings depending on the species. Some housings can be made spun from silk, and they'll stick sand, rocks, and detritus to blend in. Some housing can be attached to the substrate. Others are attached to their body. Looks like they're a little green worm with a sleeping bag on them, and they're walking on their front legs. And they're mobile. The abdomen hooks to hold onto the housing. In Colorado, I was cleaning a pond, and I once found a caddis case made of minute snail shells. Like, I mean, each one was like the size of the head of a pin. They looked like little Cinnabons, just all stuck together, but were white. And I threw it back in before I realized what I had. It was one of the coolest things in nature I've ever seen. Larvae have round, worm-like bodies with pronounced head and legs. They swim to the surface, trailing their skin, and are very vulnerable. Those are your caddis emergers, and they get picked off with relish by trout. The adults have an erratic flight pattern and swarm over the water. The adults don't die off necessarily. They can stay for three, four, five weeks. So you might see what looks like a giant hatch going on. Those could just be caddis that have been out for a week or two that are just flying from their more or less roost and they're mating and then they're going to go back to their, their leaves. I saw a great caddis hatch. A couple. These are all in Colorado. One was on the Eagle River and around the Roaring Fork in Aspen. It was the same weekend that... Kobe Bryant got busted for his little sexcapades. And another was, when I lived in Colorado that summer, I was below the Taylor Reservoir, and the sky was just blackened out by caddis. I didn't catch anything because they weren't going down to the water. There was no hatch going on for them to feed on. It was just adults having a big orgy in the sky. You could have black caddis. We got a lot of those now in the Shenandoah National Park, a lot of those down in the Potomac. Mother's Day caddis hatch, which probably early this year, you can have the, the granins. Um, there's there's different caddis hatches that you can rely on. And go to my annual periodicity podcast, and I'll speak more of those there. The larvae, green wire caddis, gummy caddis, green weenies. The emergers, Gary LaFontaine patterns. Adults, elk hair caddis, Goddard caddis, Hemingway caddis, small stimulators, small hoppers. There's plenty of adults um, to choose from. All right, so it looks like we're done. Just summarize what I've talked about in this one. Uh, try to keep it simple, not too technical. You don't have to know all the family names. You don't have to look at your, um, your the front of your rearview mirror, the grill of your car, the windshield to be like, oh, this is a hydropsychic caddis that's been hatching while I'm driving, so the fish must be eating them. You should have some background knowledge of insects and their importance with the relationship to fish. You should know insect anatomy, especially if you're tying. Not every fly has to have a head Thorax and abdomen. My hoppers have like seven body parts. That's mostly to wrap tightly to keep the fly from going around on the hook. You should know the different life cycles to match the flies you're using. You should know basic insect orders. The Latin names um, I've translated, but you don't need to know them. Hatch charts will have all this in there. You should have the key identifying characteristics for you to identify them, like long horn, short horn. They have mandibles. Do they not have mandibles? Do they have two wings? Are there four wings? These will help you identify the insect species. And you can find these, um, which I'll talk about later on. You should know their location in and around the water so you know where to throw your fly. Some representative examples by common name and the representative fly imitations for you to tie or pick up at your local shop. And remember that fish eat bugs because the bugs often come to them in the current. They don't have to go after them. Just you can fill up on that bowl of popcorn. Fish can fill up on tiny midges. They're going to go after hoppers because it's like you eating that big T-bone steak with a baked potato. So get out there, appreciate insects, look at your car's grill, even though I just made fun of doing that, shake some plants along the stream, look under leaves, 
If you get a piece of white poster board and put it under some branches and just shake them along the creek, you're going to find all sorts of bugs you had no idea were living there. Turn over rocks, but just because they're under rocks doesn't mean that's what's out and that's what the fish are feeding on. Put a fine mesh net in the water and kick up rocks and see what comes out. And don't forget to look up when filling your gas tank near the rivers at night or just pull up to buildings along like Carl's Ice Cream in Fredericksburg or the Crown Gas Station nearby. Look up and you're going to see all the bugs coming off. And that's usually a good sign that maybe those trout are feeding on that or the bluegill might be feeding on that. You might be going for bluegill. So thank you for downloading this redone podcast. I hope this uh, has better sound quality than the last one. I hope I sound a little better. I'm not as intense. And um, yeah, that's about it. Dr. Jones is asking to go outside. So I'm going to wrap this up and send it to Jason Reef, my producer. He's going to polish it and make it sound good for you. And hopefully we'll get it up on iTunes by the time dinner time tomorrow thanks for downloading you can always go to my website robsnowwhite.com and holy shnikes that's the one hour limit. thanks for downloading thank you for joining us for the fly fishing consultant podcast for more information or to contact rob visit www.robsnowwhite.com